I think mentorship is something that not only comes from your advisor, but comes from your peers, your colleagues, <laughs> and even your mentees, really. I mean, it's for me, mentorship is the process of kind of passing on what you know and also learning as well. This is the O-Rise Featurecast. Join host Michael Holtz for conversations with O-Rise experts on STEM workforce development, scientific and technical reviews, and the evaluation of radiation exposure and environmental contamination. You'll also hear from O-Rise research program participants and their mentors as they talk about their experiences and how they are helping shape the future of science. Welcome to the O-Rise Featurecast. Welcome to the O-Rise Featurecast. As ever, it's me, your host, Michael Holtz, from the Communications and Marketing Department at the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education. And I have the great privilege today to talk with Nathan Boyle, who is a former postdoctoral research fellow in the Intelligence Community Postdoctoral Research Fellowship Program. And we're going to talk about his experience and where he is today and all of the things that go with being an ORISE Research Program participant. Nathan Boyle, welcome to the ORISE Featurecast. Thank you very much for that introduction. Um, so, Nathan, you, as I mentioned, you are a former um, postdoctoral fellow, but not not too far former. It was just October that um, your fellowship ended, right? So, um, if you would talk a little bit about your fellowship and your research priorities and, and kind of what you did. Sure. So, a couple of years ago, the call for proposals for the ICE postdoc fellowship came out. And me and my advisor were kind of reading through them because a previous colleague of mine had gotten one beforehand. And we saw one that was interesting. Um, it had to do with uh, essentially machine learning and trying to track plumes post-detonation for CBRN or chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear weapons um, using open source information. Okay. Um, and... We thought that, you know, maybe we could kind of try to tie in previously developed nuclear codes, uh, MAX, uh, Melkor Accident Code Consequence System, try to tie that in and integrate machine learning with that. So we set up a proposal uh, trying to write to that project, and I think it was accepted and uh, funded through that. And I was set up with a advisor through the NGA, and... Um, yeah, I started that program a couple of years ago. So um, essentially the goal of that project, like I mentioned, was to try to integrate machine learning to track plumes. So we started kind of building up a test matrix and optimization matrix for what parameters would affect um, plume dispersion. Okay. And essentially we found that, you know, wind speed, wind direction, release height, all these kind of factors are things we needed to take into account. And um, just kind of built this over time. And eventually we started integrating machine learning into it. And this is interesting because when you think of machine learning, you think, you know, 
the things we have now, Chad GBT stuff like that, mm-hmm. where you know you tell it to do something and it gives you a response. This is very similar in that vein where we built up essentially plume dispersion models. So if you looked at a picture, you could say, oh, based on this wind direction, this is where the plume would go after a detonation release. And we kind of built up a very large matrix, I think seven, 8,000 of these images and taught a computer essentially how to um, look at these images and then generate new images based on what we told it. So let's say we said we wanted to create a plume if the weather conditions were um, 8 meters per second blowing the northeast direction. It would generate a plume that was very similar to what computer modeling could do. That way, if you didn't have the tools or capabilities on hand at the time, you could just type in two or three parameters and look at it within seconds. And that would help alleviate decision making and get the critical information decision makers down the line much quicker than if you didn't, than if you had to go through the typical modeling process and all that. So that was kind of the goal essentially was to create a tool that can get information to people very quickly. That sounds really interesting and really important in terms of, you know, again, you know, some issues that are, are very current machine learning, um, and the whole CBRN thing, but also, um, just being able to help make decisions faster by implementing machine learning into the process. So, um, good on you for great work. Thank you. Um, is, has that work continued? Or are you continuing in that work or, or have you moved on to something else? Uh, so I have moved on from that work. Um, uh, I was hired by Savannah River National Lab as a senior scientist uh, awesome. to work on environmental legacy management and stewardship. Awesome. Well, congratulations. That's great. Thank you. Um, Nathan, has science always been an interest for you, um, you know, childhood, high school, when did that sort of click as a career path for you? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, growing up, people would always ask, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up kind of thing? And I know when I was younger, I would always respond, oh, I want to be a teacher. Okay. And um, I think as I got older and kind of started looking more um, towards what I can do with a career, um, I saw that, you know, science is something that interested me throughout high school, um, but also I wanted to teach. So I thought of how could I combine that uh, together? Okay. So my, my career path or my end goal uh, in my career is to become a professor. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, I tried to build up my own independent research program while also in doing the mentoring and the teaching as well. And I think that would fit exactly what I, my passions and interests essentially. But uh, in terms of science and why I got into that, I think it's interesting because for me, I'm really into puzzles and riddles and things like that. Okay. So I, I consider science and research similar to puzzles or in the same vein where it's like we have a question right you know 
the government will create a proposal or a call for proposals and say we need this answered and it's our job as researchers to say okay here's how we would do that and here's how we would solve that puzzle and then you kind of just repeat that process and uh, that's to me very very interesting you know you never know what you're going to come into day to day right and especially when you're doing a simple project it's like well you know yesterday this result happened how does that fit in with the rest of the other research you've done you know how do you propagate those results and get you know more refined answers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i love the analogy of the puzzles and the riddles because because really you're right that's what you're doing right is there's a new question how do we get to an answer and is it the right answer or is it an answer mm-hmm. <laughs> that may lead to more questions, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, Nathan, I know that science is a collaborative process. So, um, oh, wait, I want to go back and because mm-hmm. you talked about your research interests. So in an ideal world where you're a professor and you have your own research lab, what are you doing research on? Yeah, that's an interesting one because I've spent, so let's see, I did about um, two years as an undergraduate researcher and then I did five as a graduate researcher and then three as a postdoc and now I'm doing research as a scientist. Right. So I've spent a lot of time doing research on a lot of different projects and I feel like I've kind of not necessarily narrowed down my interests, but I've had a general idea of what I enjoy doing and what I, I think uh, I can help answer, I guess. So uh, I think my focus has been on essentially it can be boiled down to enhancing nuclear safety, security, and safeguards. So that's like the whatever I want to address is those kind of topics. I spent a lot of time early on in my um, undergraduate and graduate studies developing a methodology for researching radon detection in air, which is a radioactive gas that's in people's homes. I think it's the number two um, cause of lung cancer throughout the country. And essentially, we developed a methodology for quickly determining the concentrations in homes that can be more affordable and easier so that people can get better answers quicker and, um, you know, do remediation if it's necessary. So that kind of interested me in that regard where it's like, okay, there's a, you know, healthcare aspect to nuclear engineering. And then we moved on from that to um, nuclear nonproliferation. So essentially trying to track and prevent the smuggling SNM at the border. And that's what I spent my uh, graduate study uh, PhD thesis on or dissertation on essentially trying to interrogate cargo as it's brought into the country and determine the presence of, uh, is someone bringing in any illicit material mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, HEU or plutonium. So there's that aspect. And then, um, my postdoc was the, the plume integration of machine learning. So I've been all over the place, <laughs> uh, <laughs> In terms of, yeah, what I've been focusing on, it's been wild. And I think I even splashed into um, green uh, biopolymers. Okay. So there's a, a radiation-tailored um, polymer that's made from corn 
and we've looked into how radiation affects that and essentially can you use that radiation to tailor the properties to get what you want in terms of particle board or adhesive or even using it as a dosimeter um so yeah i've been kind of all over the place in terms of interests but right, i think right. if if i have to boil it down to a specific answer it'd be addressing the gaps in the applications of nuclear safety safeguards and security that's amazing and really kind of a critical issue so mm -hmm. <laughs> um you know um so as i started asking a minute ago i know science is a collaborative process talk mm -hmm. about um collaborating with others on some of the work you're doing and how important that's been to um, the research that you've done both in your fellowship, you know, your previous research, and then even what you're doing today. Yeah. So um, I think collaboration is absolutely something that's really necessary. Uh, it brings in a lot of diverse thought, um, a lot of different capabilities. And, you know, some people may bring in different um, experiences, different backgrounds. And when you look at a collaborative effort, it's really interesting because it's say, okay, you know, this lab, for example, our lab is really good at radiation detection. Mm. Whereas another lab could be really good at understanding radiation, generating devices. Um, and that kind of paired together creates a package for active interrogation. Uh, you know, that nuclear interdiction that I was talking about earlier. Right. So one of the collaborative efforts we had was with um, the University of Michigan. And essentially, we would um, bring our detectors to their linear accelerator lab. And we essentially set up our detectors and used their facilities and did a measurement of can our detectors operate essentially in the field and detect this material. And we found that, yeah, it could. And actually, it was even better than we thought. We put our detectors directly in the beam line and measured the illicit material down the line and we're completely blind to that facility's linear accelerator beam which okay. has uh, never been done first of its kind kind of research so that was like a crazy amazing <laughs> response that we didn't even expect right, we could right. do and then we found out we could and it's like oh wow you know so without them um allowing us the opportunity to go and collaborate with that, we wouldn't have found that. Right. And that's just one example. We've worked with um, like IU uh, hospital in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. They allowed us to go down to their medical facilities and measure the neutron radiation flux in their facilities. And essentially the idea for that was um, patients are getting x-rayed and getting clinical uh, treatment using high energy photons or high energy radiation. But a lot of people don't consider that that high-energy radiation can create extra radiation that the patients or the people that are giving the operation might receive. Gotcha. So we went in there and kind of measured that and, you know, kind of nailed down essentially what extra stuff would the patient receive, what extra stuff would the operators receive. And mm. I don't know. I think that's working on getting published now. but Okay. Yeah, so I, I think that answered your question. It does. It totally okay. does. Yeah, I mean, collaboration is important. And, and, you know, sort of as you were saying earlier, it takes you in a lot of different directions, right? And mm -hmm. you answer 
lots of different questions. Um, what about for you, the role of mentors? I'm assuming you've had some great mentors in your career path so far. Um, talk about some of those experiences. Yeah. So I think mentorship is something that not only comes from your advisor, but comes from your peers, your colleagues, <laughs> and even your mentees, really. I mean, it's for me, mentorship is the process of kind of passing on what you know and also learning as well. Right. So in terms of that, like I would say I've had, uh, I've been blessed, honestly, um, with my colleagues, with my mentors, even with my mentees. Uh, I've been really happy with all of them. Um, but my advisor, for example, I, I, I was under him for what, 10 years, I think. Okay. So I got to know his mentorship style really well and, you know, how to interact with him and how to like present research, like research results. And like, we, we understood each other and mm -hmm. it was really, um, great to work with him for, you know, as long as I got to. And, um, yeah, that was, uh, great. And then like I said with my colleagues, so when I came into graduate school, there were, several senior graduate students in the program and they all you know seemed like they were like way ahead of me and absolutely like doing great research the entire time and i think they're all out and you know doing successful great things now and it was really interesting to kind of see how they interacted with each other how they interacted with me and kind of learning and growing from that and essentially trying to take in all the information you can right so in terms of being being a mentee that would be you know uh something i would say for for anyone who's starting research and starting that is kind of just keep your eyes and ears open and really listen and jump at any opportunity when people are doing stuff just to shadow and watch and then as a mentor myself i've um kind of grew into that role towards my later graduate studies and mm -hmm. postdoc uh where essentially i think for me it, it was definitely challenging understanding how to mentor different students okay. and um essentially like each student has their own way of learning their own way of doing research and you kind of have to mesh everyone together and kind of figure out the best way to manage that. And it, I think I got a somewhat handle on it towards the end, but I definitely know in my early uh, postdoc and late graduate, it was definitely a challenge for me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but it's on some level, it's like learning how to be a supervisor, right? And so you have mm -hmm. to, you know, get the experience. But And like you said, like everyone learns differently. Everyone, you know, has their own, um, learning style, but also, you know, different ways that different forms of communication, you know, mm -hmm. land, lands differently depending on who the individual is. So yeah, there's a learning curve to, to all of that. So that makes perfect sense. Um, you've had a, you know, pretty amazing career so far. Um, done some Thank incredible you. research. Nathan, are there any obstacles that you've had to overcome to get where you are today? 
Yeah, so I was thinking about this because, um, you know, we, we sent out the email. questions, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting because it's like, you know, everyone has obstacles in life and obviously everyone deals with them and, you know, it's just one of those things that you, you, you work through. Right. And, and, uh, I, it's hard for me to name any specific one. Um, but I don't know. I would say in general, you know, growing up for me, uh, my parents had to work extra hard and extra long to kind of provide for us. And they always stressed academic, um, as a, or academics as a way to kind of, further your career and, and do that so the, the pressure for me to get and succeed or get good grades and succeed was always very high right. um, and unfortunately growing up I was often left alone due to the you know scheduling and long shifts that my parents had to work sure. so I, I think that was one of the obstacles was realizing that hey you know you are responsible for your own success right. And essentially, like, you have to be self-motivated and no one, I mean, not that other people won't help, because, you know, there are great people that have helped me along the way. And I definitely don't want to say that I haven't gotten any help. But it's one of those things where you have to be self-motivated and you have to realize that in order to succeed, you're the one that's responsible. So I think somewhere early on, I realized that. And I think that's um, what has helped me to... I guess, do the things I've done. Gotcha. And Nathan, where was growing up for you? What was that? Where did you grow up? Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I grew up in northern Indiana. Okay. So a small, yeah, a small town in the middle of a cornfield. I think we had like 800 people in our town, like 40 people in my grade. So a really, really small area. And yeah, that was definitely interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up not too far away in um, southeastern Wisconsin. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the whole Midwest, <laughs> Midwest working parents, you know, yep. I, I kind of had the same thing. So I totally understand that you know, there's a level of self-motivation. And, you know, yeah, as you said, people will come along to help you for sure. But they also want to see that you're, you know, you're a bit of a self-starter, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, I guess my last question for you is, um, Nathan, what brings you joy? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, I feel like I have to throw this in there. My friends often call me uh, goofy or weird. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, I don't know. I'm. It's not that I don't take things seriously, but for me, you know, life in general is just, it's, there are great things all around. So what brings me joy? I mean, there's a lot of things, I guess, uh, you know, my dog, um, being with my friends and family, mm -hmm. uh, board games. Uh, hiking i mean there's so many great things and um that's just stuff outside of research in the lab sure. and obviously there are things in inside of work in school you know learning has always been something that's that's brought me joy as well 
like understanding how things work on a fundamental level. Um, fun, weird facts is another thing. Um, and I think one of the things that uh, I'm really enjoying in my current position is the autonomy and the, the responsibility that comes along with that mm-hmm. of, hey, this is what we want to get done. Can you do it? And I would say yes, and here's how. So right. it's it's kind of that, like, um, I guess, growth of an independent researcher that I've always wanted yeah. and kind of getting that has been really, really great. Gotcha. That's awesome. And does that kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, like, the autonomy of, like, being able to solve the problem sort of harkens back to the autonomy of sort of having to figure life out, right? <laughs> yeah i mean exactly you know uh yeah i i think for me um i think yeah uh it kind of does bring it back full circle to the the independence thing where it's you know i was always independent growing up so i think that i've always sought out that kind of independence in academic research as well and kind of trying to build on that uh as i mentioned to try to become a professor because that's something that you have to showcase um is can you essentially function on your own, draw in research funding and develop a program and mentor students? So I have been, like I mentioned, I've been really blessed by the people that I've been surrounded with and the opportunities I've been able to get because essentially it's all been practice for uh, what I want to do down the line, you know, being a mentor in a lab, uh, doing postdoc research where I'm at now, where I have my own kind of independent research and it's been great. I mean, I I have really no nothing bad to say about anyone <laughs> or anything I've I've done. It's been truly a blessing. Awesome. Well, Nathan Boyle, we will leave it there. And thank you so much for the opportunity to um, talk to you today and learn more about your fellowship experience, but also just about you as a person. It's been a joy to get to know you today. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking with you as well. Thank you for listening to the ORISE Feature Cast. To learn more about the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education, visit orise.orau.gov or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ORISE Connect. If you like the ORISE Feature Cast, give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. The Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education is managed by ORAU for the U.S. Department of Energy.